Beloved, let's turn in our Bibles to the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Today we're going to be looking specifically from verse 44 to verse 49. But we're going to read a little bit before and we're going to read a little bit to the end of the chapter. But we'll be looking primarily, specifically from 44 to 49. Let's begin at 36 and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Okay? I'll read you full along. Now as they, the disciples, said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, the disciples, peace be to you. But they were terrified and frightened and they supposed that they had seen a ghost. And he said to them, why are you so troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. For it is I myself, handle me, touch me. For a spirit does not have flesh and does not have bones as you see I have. Then he, that is Jesus, said this. Or when he, that is Jesus, had said this, he showed, him, showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Do you have any fruit here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, the disciples, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the, the scriptures. Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and the remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations. Beginning at Jerusalem... And you, are the wit and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And then he, that is Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. If you remember last time, we talked about the importance of the resurrection in the fundamentals of our faith. We believe in Jesus because he was resurrected from the dead God confirmed all that he said all that he did by his resurrection God accepted his sacrifice and showed us that everything that Jesus had said and done and accomplished was true and acceptable and was part of God's own plan and that is why you and I can believe on Jesus in Jesus with all certainty, because he is the only one who has been raised from the dead. 
and has been restored to life and has become the life-giving spirit. It is in his name and by his power that we receive life. You and I should be firm in our belief of the resurrection. It should be part of our Christian conversation. How often do we talk about the resurrection? Just in, in, in passing or with non-Christian friends. I have to say, it's very rare. It's very rare. It's not really part of our habit. It's not really part of our taught Christian behavior. We'll talk about Jesus. Sometimes in a very mystical sense. I believe in Jesus. And we're somewhat vague in that. We must get into the habit, into the practice of lifting up the risen Christ. He is alive. The early church rejoiced in the fact and proclaimed it from the rooftops. Sometimes actually from the rooftops. He is risen. He is alive. Not just at Easter time. I hate the word Easter, by the way. Easter is not a Christian word. It's a pagan word that has been Christianized. It comes from the god Estra or rebirth. We, we don't, I don't like the word Easter tangent. Resurrection day, perhaps. Much better day. Not Easter. Resurrection day, in English at least. We must proclaim that he is risen. And live in the reality that he is risen. He is alive. When they said he is risen, they weren't meaning that, yeah, sometime a couple of years ago he did this thing, you know. And, but they were, he is present, he is real, he's alive, he's here, he's with us. We're going to meet him. Our minds and our hearts as believers in Him should be living in the reality of the fact that He is risen. Not, we're not just spiritual people. As a Pentecostal, not anymore, but it was, but it kind of am. We used to talk a lot about the Spirit. The Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And everything was about the Spirit. The ancient believers, or the first believers of our faith, practice, practitioners of our faith, they talked about Christ. And they were stuck on Him. It was all about Jesus. He is risen. He is alive. Oh, that we would re-again revisit that, live in that. That that would be part of our conversation and our practice. That when we talk to our family, our friends, our neighbors, the stranger in the street, we would talk about the risen Christ. As if we were talking about our friend who lives down the street. Or a man, a person that we know somewhere, you know. That some sort of celebrity that we know. I had a friend a long time ago who knew a celebrity and uh, you could always guarantee that in every conversation, they would bring up that celebrity. I was talking to my friend the other day. You know my friend, the celebrity. He's a very important singer. And they would drop his name into every conversation. 
We're all very guilty of that at times. My friend would would always drop it, and we, then he eventually stopped it when we were all like, "Yaha, bingo!" You know, like we, we we would mock him because of his. He would every in every conversation he would mention his friend who was a very well-known celebrity singer. Beloved, as much as we can mock that kind of behavior, we should be doing that as Christians. The importance of the resurrection, the certainty, the reality of it. And is it a reality in your life? Is it, does it feature in your thinking? Does it feature in your conversation? Does it feature in your spirit life, your internal life? How you plan your day or practice your faith. Today I want to look at those last things that Jesus said. You and I always know that the most important things in a letter are always said at the end. It is the conclusion. It is the concise summary of all that has gone before. You know, like when my wife left this weekend to go and visit Emil, she gave me instructions like again and again and again. Like I'm a fool. Like I can't remember. Like I don't know how to look after children. <sighs> you know, like the house is going to burn down just because she's not there. And so she's leaving. And then she leaves and she gives me instructions. You know, she writes a list. She did not write a list this time. And, but she only writes a list. And, uh, and then when she leaves, we're in the car and we're driving to the, the, the train station. She'll tell me again. She'll say, listen, this is what you do. Just as we're driving, remember this, remember this. This time it was, remember the file for Julia. Because the Sunday school stuff. I was like, I'm not going to forget that. And so, last night, the last thing before I go to bed, I get a message on WhatsApp. Remember the file for Julia. And I'm like... I don't need to be told what to do. It's already in the car. I put it in the car on Friday so I wouldn't forget. And then this morning, I got a message from Sarah. Remember the file for Julia. And then I got a message from Julia saying, remember the file. I'm like, do I have a bad reputation to forget things or what? What's going on here? But we understand that... When you have something important to say, you say it at the end, again, again, again. Oh, I'm about to leave, but let me just say this. And we all, we all kind of understand that, don't we? The importance. This is something you want the person to remember. This is important information, and you need to know this. And repetition is the key to learning. To say it again and again and again. So hopefully you won't forget the file, which I did bring because I put it in the car on Friday so I wouldn't forget it. Ha Because experience, I do forget things all the time. Um, so the Holy Spirit is saying the same thing again and again. And Jesus is, is, we're told the last things that Jesus is saying to his disciples because they're important things. It's very easy for you and I just to bump over them here. We're almost at the end. Let's get to the end and then we can say we've finished the book. Yes. But we must walk slowly through these verses because this is the important information that Jesus is sharing with his disciples. That's only a summary. It's only a glimpse. It's a whisper of a fuller conversation. I can imagine it took many hours, maybe an entire day or so. I don't know how long it took. This is a divine summary of a longer conversation that took a long time. 
but it is the essence, the concentrated essence, the most important information. And so it was the important information for them, but we know that it was given to them by the Holy Spirit for the church throughout all the ages, down through the ages, right down to our day today. This is important information, not just for those disciples who were gathered around the risen Christ, but for all of us and for us today, the Holy Spirit has included there because it's vital information for you and for me. This is not optional. This is not just something, well, this is for the preacher, or this is for the evangelist, this is for the man of the church, you know, this is for that woman over there, she needs to hear this. It's for us all. If you're a believer, if you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, a follower, one who practices his teachings in your life, well, then this is information for you. This is how. This is the why. This is the means and the methods. And there's information here that you and I need to learn in order that we might live successfully as his disciples in this life. That we might overcome sin. That we might be able to demonstrate the reality of the risen Christ in this life. That you might be a better Christian. It's always, I always struggle with that. How do you become a better Christian? I don't mean that you're a sinless and free and oh, super Christian. No, 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 no. But that you are more successful in living in his ways. That you can walk in his ways and keep his requirements. That the... All the knots and tangles of this life that kind of trip us up. All of the, the habits, all of the fears, all of the taught behavior you've learned throughout your life can be straightened out. That you understand with a clear vision how to, to live a life that God has prescribed I go to the gym. I know that I don't really look like I go to the gym, but I do, honestly. I'm getting there. And I, I work out, as you do. And, uh, and I used to go to the gym, and I didn't really have a program. I was like, I like that machine. I'll go there and lift it. You know, and then I thought, oh, I like that machine over there. I'm good at that one. I'll go over there, and I, and I lift the legs. You know, walk around and go, yes. And I didn't really have a program. Didn't really have a set, you know, do this, do that, do this. And it never showed any gains or, or it had any effect except to make my legs really sore. And then I got myself a program. I followed a plan that some, a professional, someone who actually knew what they were doing, who'd actually trained in this. I got myself a program and a diet program. And I began to work out according to that, doing sets, doing different things at different days, and, and all kind of, and all of a sudden, there is a, a, a difference. You begin to, the gym becomes much more easier, and it works out. Why? Because I'm following the information of someone who knew what they were talking about. And I was able to, to follow that, follow a plan, and I benefited from the knowledge of another, from the plan of another. And as that is true in earthly things, we follow the expert, a real expert, 
there are people who say they're experts. You know, you go to gym and they're like, yeah, yeah. gym's full of experts. But a real expert. And all of a sudden, the experience becomes much easier. The gains happen much easier. It's the same here, beloved. Jesus is giving us information to live by, to practice in order that our experience might be better. Not that you necessarily will be a better Christian. No, we're slightly better people. But uh, that our experience together with him might be more enjoyable. Do you remember the first thing of the catechism? Westminster, I think it is. What is the chief end of man? It's to know God and to enjoy him forever. How do we know God through the scriptures? How do we enjoy him? By practicing the scriptures. By applying them to our lives. And by walking in them. And, and in doing so we benefit. The blessing of the Lord is applied to our life in the olden days. It's a charismatic Pentecostal. We used to say disobedience to the scriptures. To the, to the command brings a curse. It brings a curse upon your life. Which actually it does. But obedience to the scriptures brings the blessing. And actually does. Now we might have misunderstood what we were talking about. But the premise is absolutely correct. When you walk and live in opposition to the scriptures. When you're doing things from your own mind. From your own desire, for whatever suits you, whatever's easy for you, whatever comes from your own nature, but isn't prescribed by God, you're practicing idol worship. You're practicing pagan religion. You're doing things according to your own inclination. Whatever is right by your own heart. Trying to worship God by pagan means isn't worship. Trying to witness about God by pagan means isn't witnessing. Therefore, we must hear what the Spirit has to say. We must understand the method and means of divine instruction and put those in the place in our own lives. Begin to walk in his ways and to keep his requirements. And here Jesus is telling his disciples. Now remember that they have just gone through a terrible shock. Their whole theological worldview has been destroyed. They were expecting a Messiah who would come and kick the Romans out, slap the Pharisees, establish a new kingdom on earth. Set up the Israeli Empire. They were expecting this warrior king. And along comes Jesus and just completely disappoints them. He is brutally betrayed, murdered, killed, buried, done away with. And that's the end. And all of a sudden he comes back. He's here and the resurrection has happened. He's and they can't get the reality of it together with their theology. 
There's a difference. Something is wrong. And we obviously know it was their theology, their, their understanding of the scriptures, their hermeneutics, how they interpreted the scriptures was, was wrong. They were simply looking at the popular view, the, their, their time view of, of what the Bible said about the Messiah, but they were neglecting all these other texts that were too difficult, too confusing. They wanted the joys without having the sorrows. And they couldn't get the two together. And so Jesus reminds them, first and foremost, I already told you these things. It should not be a surprise to you. I communicated these things plainly to you. The disciples, they, they might have thought, well, you know, when Jesus was talking about his death, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, is he talking in parables? Is this an analogy? Is this some sort of fancy story? Is this a mystical, spiritual thing? Is this some one of these prophecies that you can pick and mix? You know, you take the bits that we agree with, but the bits that we don't, it's shrouded in mystery, question mark, we don't know. And so that they weren't really on board with what Jesus was telling them. They wanted the positive, but weren't really with the negative. Remember Peter, when he tried to silence the Lord? Lord, God forbid that these things should happen. Quiet! And the Lord turned to him, depart from me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. For Yours is not the mind of God, but of man. <laughs> Poor Peter. Jesus is speaking to them. And he's saying, I already told you these things. It was all part of the plan. Nothing got out of hand. There was no divide. There was no accident. There was no plan B. But it had been this way from the beginning. You and I can be certain on God's ability to be sovereign in this world. The crucifixion wasn't an accident. It wasn't a plan B. It wasn't a rescue mission for Jesus somehow in some way. Things got out of hand. People lost their temper. Stuff, oh, that somehow, some way, God lost control of the the circumstances and the situation. No, Jesus shows them very clearly that this was always part of the plan. It was always intended to be this way. And then he does this. He takes them to the scriptures. He demonstrates from the threefold revelation the witness of the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, the Hebrew Bible, and he has a Bible study with them. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that shocking? If you want to reach your confused friends we understand this don't we it goes on here in verse 45 and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures we who have been awakened and transformed and reformed and have come out of places whether charismatic lutheran or whatever 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 we understand this But oftentimes we wonder, how then do we reach? How then do we communicate to our friends and family, loved ones, 
are, are the people that we know who are still within those groups, churches. How do we reach them? Temptation is, of course, to, that we, we try and socialize them. Come to a barbecue. <laughs> Come to our church. We sing so wonderfully. We do. We're such nice people. We are. We have great Sunday school. We do. We have a wonderful conference. We have the best. I feel like Donald Trump. All of a sudden. That's not the way. That's not the way. We could talk about our personal experience. Well, for me, it was like this. And we give our testimony. We tell them the, the epic story of how God opened up our eyes. And we, we tell them from our own personal experience. Hoping that somehow, in some way, they'll be able to relate. That they'll be like, oh, that sounds, yeah. Wow. And they'll have some sort of mystical experience. That's not it here either. Jesus is our example. He's our master. We are his students. He is our leader and we are his followers. He is the dictator. But we are whatever di- follows a dictator. He demonstrates the pattern of godly behavior. He communicates to us how we are to unlock the minds and hearts of people who are confused in their theology and in their hermeneutics, how they interpret the Bible. People who are going the wrong way. They are focused on error. Because these disciples, though they had been with Jesus for three and a half years, were still focused on error. They still were trying to force Jesus into their theology. They were still trying to, to apply him, trying to, because they couldn't understand, because their view, their Christian worldview was so narrow and so misdirected. And therefore, Jesus once again had to unravel all of the knots. Had to straighten them out. And he does that by taking them to the scriptures. He has Bible study with them. He goes to the beginning and he walks through every verse. And if you look at the preachings of Peter at Pentecost. Stephen when he's about to be stoned by the, uh, the Jews. You see there the demonstration. Philip as well. You see the demonstration of them appealing to the scriptures in their messages. In, and they, they, from the beginning, and they work it out. Beloved, the Bible clearly demonstrates that for you and for, for me, to be able to communicate the truth about God, to reveal the revelation, we must use the revelation. Jesus could have just spoken to them, communicated to them. He could have told, well, it's like this. You know, this is how it happened, boys. He could have put his hands upon them and imparted some sort of revelation and they just understood. Could have taken his white jacket off and wound it around his head. 
But he didn't do any of those things because they're all nonsense. It's all ridiculous. Pagan. Christless. Devilish and demonic. Here he takes them to the word of God. Because the Bible says of itself, the word of God is perfect. It converts the soul. And so he takes them to Bible study and he works it through. These are believers. These are believers. They've probably heard this message a hundred times. Because Jesus, we all know, was a man who would like to repeat himself. He said it again and he said it again. Why? Because he knows the heart of men and how slow and stubborn and sometimes stupid we can behave. And so he says it again and again and again. And the very same thing that he said to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he's now sharing with the group. And he's unpacking it. And he's pointing them to this. And he's saying to that. And they're thinking to themselves, is that not just an image, Lord? Is that not just something, a a mysterious truth that we do not miss? It's real happened he's showing them how it's all being fulfilled their minds are being blown 45 i think is a great verse and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures now if you're like me and you've shared with people from the bible many times sitting down with the kids having bible study with your children oh it's like pulling teeth sometimes it's so hard And you can share the truth and demonstrate and prove from the Bible a hundred times that these things are true. But they look at you with these blank eyes and empty stare. And they can say, well, I, I know that it says those things. And I accept that it means those things. But. And it, it, it kind of misses the mark. Whoop, whoop. Just goes over their over their shoulder. You see, the I was say magic ingredient, Mr. secret ingredient, perhaps is a better way of saying it, is that Jesus opened up their understanding. God was at work there. It's not a natural thing from natural man to be able to comprehend. Why? Because we are dif- dysfunctional. We're broken. And we always default away from God. In our nature, we would love to run and hide. In our nature, we are always going away from God. And God must always bring us back. He is the one, the great shepherd of our souls, that keeps us on the straight and narrow We don't do it because we're smart and clever and handsome. It is God who is keeping us. In verse 45 again, Jesus opens up their understanding. Whether that was just simply by speaking to them and explaining to them. But I think there's a deeper meaning here. I think that that in some way, in some high, he enabled them to understand the truth. The things he had said countless times before 
The Bible studies that they had had countless times before that they still didn't get. All of a sudden they all made sense. Ah, I get it now. Why didn't you just say that before? Boom. The light was turned on. And all of a sudden they saw with clarity. And again, you and I understand that, don't we? We who have been called out of wherever we have come from. I had been a believer for 19 years before I saw these things. Before it was made clear to me. Before I had my ah moment. But for me, actually, it was more of a crying moment. And I went and hid for a month. I'm so sorry, Lord. Repentance, repentance. Please, God, forgive me. Oh, I'll never preach again. The Lord says, enough. I'm God in the Bible study. We we know that there is this this moment of clarity, of understanding, of seeing the difference. And it's because Jesus made it clear to us by his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus. Beloved, we must practice as our Savior. We must constrain ourselves to the methods and means that he used. We can't lean on earthly methods or earthly means to try and manipulate and motivate people into following Jesus or accepting the teachings that we have accepted. We must clearly display that these things are from the Scriptures. We must clearly demonstrate the reality, whether it again be about the resurrection, the sufferings, the nature of the Messiah, his function, what he was here for, why did Jesus have to die, the reality of human sin. But also we must seek God and trust God that he is doing his work. And he's opening up the eyes of, under, of the understanding of people. Again, you and I could have Bible studies with the people of this world from now until the Lord returns. And nothing will ever happen. The best or the worst that can ever happen is we make Pharisees. People who are religious on the outward but inward are simply... Dead man's tombs full of rotten bones. There must be the touch of God, the spark of divinity that opens up the understanding and all of a sudden we are transformed and changed and we see, we understand. We live in a world, sadly, that has been overcome There is a plague in the land. A plague, not of sickness and disease, but a plague of misunderstanding and error. Where Christians have been overcome and influenced by a deadly disease of error. Not just the charismatic nonsense with all of its extreme behavior. But one of unbelief. One where we look at the people of this world, of the, the vast numbers of unbelievers, and we think, it's not working. 
God's not saving people. Nobody cares and we're so small and the bumble- and it just doesn't work. And unbelief has crept into our hearts and is demonstrated by our behavior. We no longer joyfully, gleefully, zealously share Jesus with people. We kind of reluctantly do it, only if they ask, you know. And even then we kind of try and soft sell it, pack it down, wrap it up and package it and put a nice bow on it. I love packing packages. You know, you get a parcel from me, you get a present from me, it's going to be wrapped in the nicest paper with the nicest bow. I know it's somewhat effeminate, but I love bows on presents. I mean, I just, I've made this really beautiful Tiffany bow for someone just recently. Really nice. And we try and do that with the gospel. We try and soft sell it and, 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 and package it up and put promotions on it and stickers and make it acceptable but we cannot Jesus held to the basics Bible study, Bible study, Bible study and he opened up their minds and he allowed them to see and that they understood they might comprehend the scriptures and he has done that for you and he's done that for me it was through the study of the scriptures that we are where we are today. It wasn't because we received some great revelation. It was because we read the scriptures and we suddenly realized and understood and we could no longer compromise with the world. We could no longer walk in their ways or follow them in their practices. We understood. God opened up our minds and we comprehended. This also speaks to the importance of Bible study in the life of the believer. Believer, you need to study the Bible. Individually, personally, and collectively. They had a collective Bible study. It is a fundamental in the life of the believer that you need to be fed by the Word. God has it so that elders now those of us who have been called and approved and appointed to teach the word must teach the word and you must receive it. This speaks to the importance of Bible study in the life of the believer. Well, I knew all those things, Kai. I've heard them a hundred times. I'm sure these disciples had heard about the resurrection, the death of Christ a hundred times. And they didn't get it. Didn't get it. In jiu-jitsu. Because I love talking about jiu-jitsu. In jiu-jitsu, we practice our movements. We do the same thing a hundred times. More than a hundred times. I have practiced throwing people thousands of times. People bigger than myself, smaller than myself. And we, we have a saying that says, you must practice a move a hundred times to be able to do it right one time. Repetition, repetition, repetition. To teach the body that it must move in a certain way. And you'll do it wrong a hundred times. And perhaps do it right once. And then a hundred times again you do it wrong. But through repetition. And then there comes that one moment of clarity. When you think, ah, 
ah, if I just turn my head that way, why didn't you say so? And the teacher looks at you and goes, oh, 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 oh. We can relate to that, can't we? And that's the importance of Bible study in the life of the believer. It is God's method to teach you, to enable you to be able to live your life in accordance with His Word. It is through Bible study that Christ will open up your mind, open up your understanding, and help you to be able to comprehend the Scriptures. The word comprehend is a very cool word. It's very good. It means not just to have an analytical knowledge, an academic knowledge, and all a knowledge like oh, I, I, I understand the things. I wrote my thesis on that. Not that kind of professor university knowledge, but it's the understanding of how to live, of being able, like a baby, comprehending how to be able to walk. Look at look at the wee man sleep on his mummy there. It just seems like yesterday that he was in the pram outside sleeping in the snow, and all of a sudden he's up and about. And then you, you, something clicks inside them and they comprehend one foot in front of another, one foot in front of another, and then they're away. There's a, 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 something happens inside them and they naturally understand. And then all of a sudden it's there forever. It's like riding a bicycle. Has anyone ever forgotten how to ride a, a bicycle? You know, I haven't ride, ridden a bicycle in years. I don't have a bicycle. My sons have a bicycle, but I, I, I don't have anywhere to go. I have a car. I'm a grown-up. I don't, I don't need a bicycle. But I haven't forgotten how to cycle a bicycle. If there was a bicycle outside and, and I could jump on it, I could cycle up and down. In where I live, we have lots of young Lestadian boys. And one of the, to be a young Lestadian boy, you have to be able to cycle your bicycle on one wheel, apparently. You, know, they, you see them all cycling on one wheel up and down the streets. You can't be a young Lestrian boy unless you know how to cycle a bicycle on one wheel, apparently. They'll be able to do that all their life. It's a, it's a skill you can't forget. Once you have learned it, you can't forget. And that's what it means to comprehend. When Christ opened up their minds and helped them to comprehend the Scriptures, they learned something that they would never forget. And it became a part of them. Not just an academic knowledge, not just a head knowledge was absent from the heart, but it consumed their whole being. It became part of them and it became a daily practice of their life. They would forever talk about the risen Jesus, the resurrection, the importance of it. And then he goes on in verse 46. And thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Again, here we see the gospel. This is the core of our message. This is what we were styled and, and made to do. Church, what is our mission? Our mission isn't just to come here on a Sunday and be pleasant and well-dressed. 
to sing nice songs and have our kids go to Sunday school. As a church, as the people of God, as the representative of Jesus Christ here on earth, it is our mission to preach this message. The word preached is a very good word. It doesn't mean just from the front. It means to proclaim from every street. To be a living proclamation. Wherever you go, you preach. You proclaim. You make known. It is revealed. Everybody hears. Everybody knows. I am blessed and cursed with a big voice. It's remarkable how such a little man like me has such a big voice. When I was a younger man and I I did street evangelism, every other person in our group would have to have a microphone. My voice was so so large and loud that when I used the microphone, you couldn't hear me. So they had to take the microphone away and then my voice could be heard. The people from the pubs used to come out and say, can you turn that guy down, please? He's too loud. We can't hear our music. The idea is that we are loud, that we are big about the message of Jesus. And it is this particular, not that he was just God's son, that he is God. Not just that he was a nice guy, kind teacher. He was good with kids. That he was a carpenter. We are to proclaim him and preach these things. That it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. Why? Because of your sin. Because the consequences of your sin. People, we often think, you know, say to people, Jesus died for sin. For sinners. And we concentrate a lot on the negative, don't we? we oh, you're a sinner. Bad people. And we kind of stop it there. And we don't tell people, it's because of your sin that when you die, you will stand before God in judgment. And God will judge you according to his law. And depending on where you fall on that scale, you will either go to heaven and enjoy blessing together with God forever. Or you will depart and be thrown into hell and suffer and torment forever. We say sinner, but we need to be, uh, make it known to them that it is because of, because of their sin, the outcome is that they shall go to hell, to a place of eternal judgment. Not just because of their sin, the consequences of their sin. And yet Jesus died. It was necessary for him to come in order for us to escape that, to be rescued from that. That repentance and the remissions of sin. It says in my Bible remissions. Or the forgiveness of sins. The word remissions means the cancelling out. The rubbing out. The removal. The taking away of. An absence of. We who are medically minded. (laughs) You think of when a person is in remission of cancer. There is no presence of cancer in them they're in remission it's gone here we're talking about the remission of sins the cancellation the forgiveness the removal 
that we are to preach repentance, not just here from the front. We are to be a church. Every member. Every person who proclaims faith in Christ is to speak of this message. The necessity of the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The suffering, the death, the resurrection of Christ. But also of the importance of repentance. How we are to turn away from our unbelief, from our sinful living. Not just from the bad things that we do or have done, but we turn away from our unbelief and from our error and we place our trust in the living Christ. And therefore we receive the remission, the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, that the heart of stone is removed and we receive a heart of flesh of new life. This is the message that we are to proclaim. This is the message that we are to be loud about unashamedly boastful about to be known I, I always remember when we started the church I had the habit of saying it is my desire to have a church that is not ashamed of the gospel you know Romans 1 16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation I want a church that's not ashamed of the gospel. The word ashamed means embarrassed. Why did Paul say that? Because believers are often manipulated into being embarrassed. Why? Because to the Jews, the message was a stumbling block. And to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, the Greeks, it was foolishness. (laughs) What are you talking about? And therefore, there's always this temptation to kind of glitter it up, put a bow on it, wrap it up. Yeah, I, I, I once, for Christmas, we bought, I bought my mother-in-law a box of chocolates. Just a normal fatso box of chocolates. Just a normal one, you know? Just like, you get them in three packs. Because I'm cheap. But I wrapped it perfectly and gorgeously and put a bow on it. And, just was, and I gave it to her and she cried. This is the most beautiful package I've ever received. It's just chocolate. She says, but I don't want to open it. She still has it. Hasn't opened it yet because it's such, such a nice bow. Cheap inside, but it was it made the appearance of, of it was all glitter and gold. We try and do that with the gospel. We try and add to the gospel and make it more palatable, make it more appreciable, to make it more acceptable. Doesn't need it. It's an offense to God. That when we try and help him, he does not need our help. We must stick to the basics. Our message is to be clear and unwielding. In verse 48, he says, And you will be my witnesses of these things. It's not the... I used to think when he said you would be my witnesses, it was a case of you're seeing what I'm doing. You're witnessing what I'm doing. You're, you're watching what I'm doing. I thought a witness was someone who saw something happen. You're seeing me do it. You're witnessing me do it. But that's not what he's saying here. 
you're the ones who have saw me do it or know that I've done it, but you're going to speak on my behalf. You're going to witness about what has been done. You're going to tell of what you saw, of what you experienced, of what you know. You're going to be the mouthpieces by which this message is communicated. Again, the idea is martyr. And I used to think a martyr was someone who died for the faith. No, a martyr is someone who witnesses for the faith, even to the point of death. We have this worldly, secular view of a martyr. as A martyr is someone who dies. Lucia or whatever. I hate Lucia. You know I do. But it's not. It is one who communicates the truth. One who speaks openly and freely. One who is unashamed in the communication of the truth. Jesus said that the disciples who are there, but it goes beyond them. It is the church that he is speaking to. Not just the disciples who were gathered there together with him at that Bible study. It is the church that he is speaking to. All believers of all time from the beginning until the end have all been burdened with this responsibility. You are my witnesses, he says. You are the one who must communicate this truth. You're the one who must make known this information from the Bible. You're the one who must speak about me. You're the one who must preach the gospel. Again, not from the pulpit, but from the pulpit of your lives. In the day and daily, in every experience, in every relationship, from your children until your parents. From your brothers and your sisters, your cousins, your aunts, grandparents, to your neighbor, stranger in the street, to their friend or companion. In every circumstance, you are to be the witness of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, the reality of repentance and forgiveness of sins. You are to be his witness in this life. Not just occasionally. Not when. No, you're forced to. Oh, I'm forced to. have no, no. I've got nowhere to go. My back is against the wall. You are my witnesses. We are to go in this world joyfully, rejoicing, expectant for God to move. As he has done with us, he will do with others. Why? Why would he stop with us? <laughs> Did he reach perfection when he done? You know? No! No! But we do know that what he has done with us, and we're nothing special. We're just ordinary. Some of us are a little bit more ordinary than others. God was good to us. And he will be good to others. And then he said in verse 49, Behold, I will send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. We know that he's talking about Pentecost there. And do you and I need to tarry? Do we need to go and sit somewhere for X amount of days waiting for a Pentecost experience? 
The Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church at Pentecost. It was released into the church. He's here right now with us in power. We do recognize and understand that we need the Holy Spirit to move in a person. I do believe in the spirit of revival that at certain times, according to the will of God, God reveals himself in a greater way, in a more realer way. I can't explain that. History just shows it to be true. Do believe that there is an experience where we must tarry. We must wait upon the Lord. Now they weren't just sitting like waiting for a bus, you know, watching their phones or tablets. They had tablets back in those days. I enjoy that fact that they did have tablets, but they were like wax tablets, but they still had them. I'm sure they were playing X's nose or something on their tablets and parents were like, in my day, we didn't have those. You know, parents were saying, oh, that's a corruption because children were playing games on their tablets even back then. They weren't wasting their time. They weren't just sitting going, is he coming yet? All the kids were like, is he here yet? They were waiting upon the Lord. They were praying. They were saying, Lord, remember your promise to us. But also we see the plans of God here. And I I can't go into what happened in Pentecost in great detail because I'm running out of time. But we know that they had been commissioned to take this message to the ends of the earth. Now you remember that there were only, at Pentecost there were 120. And how far can 120 people go? They can go, but you know. Instead, God begins the church by bringing the people of the world to the church before the church goes out to the world. People from all Jews, from all over the nation, all over the empire came to celebrate on on that day. Internationals from every, we know that at least 19 different languages were being spoken in Jerusalem. People from the, the edges of the Roman Empire all gathering together from Babylon. And there God poured out his spirit. And there the church was born. And there those people took the message and spread it throughout the empire. And revival broke out. Revival broke out. But it began with Bible study. <laughs> so simple. So it can't be that simple. Jesus began with Bible study. And he demonstrated the reality of these things. He, now they had the luxury of Jesus being able to say, well, you know, that was fulfilled and that was fulfilled and that was fulfilled. That prophecy. And you understand, too, when I did this, that's what was happening there. Now we can demonstrate that about Jesus. But also the prophecies of him coming again. Of those realities which are yet to happen. All of that which will be fulfilled at his coming and after his coming into eternity. The realities of those things... We can say, well, these things happened there. And we know for, with 100% certainty that they were fulfilled there. We have trustworthy sources to demonstrate the fulfillment. Now, if those things were fulfilled 100%, 
when the Bible then talks about these things, can we not take it for certainty that they will be fulfilled? When he returns and returns in wrath this time to rescue his church, to raise her up, can we not with wholehearted certainty know that those things will happen? We must warn the people of this world of the judgment that is to come. We must proclaim life, liberty, freedom in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. In His name. Not in the name of God, a generic God. Not in the name of the Spirit. But in Christ's name. In Jesus' name. For there is salvation in no other name. Only in the name of Jesus. But it all begins with Bible study, beloved. These disciples were confused. And their theology was full of holes. They may have heard it a hundred times, but they didn't understand it. And it took one time with Jesus, one final time with Jesus, and them opening up their minds and understandings, which then led to them being better Christians. That they were able to live their lives in a way that brought glory and honor even unto death because we know that all the disciples except one died as martyrs. They gave up their lives and even the one who didn't die as a martyr lived a life of martyrdom. He was imprisoned on an island full of wicked men. But it all begins with Bible study. Beloved, do not neglect the studying of the word. Do not treat it as a little thing. It is God's method and means for you to grow in your faith. It is by that that you will experience the freedom and the enlightenment that will help you live your life. It will reveal to you difficulties and problems you didn't even know you had. These disciples didn't understand that their problem was that their theology was wrong, that their hermeneutic was wrong. Christ needed to demonstrate that to them. So if you want to learn to be or to be a better witness, to be a more proficient witness for Jesus Christ in this world, study the scriptures personally and collectively. For this is the will of God. Amen. Let's just finish there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that it is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. We pray, Lord, that you will help us. Lord, we, we confess the uh, casual attitudes that we often had towards your word. How, Lord, we often treat it with contempt because it is so familiar to us. How, Lord, we are so blinded by our culture, by our preferences. Lord, by our own lazy natures. Lord, by our, our prejudices. Lord, we pray you'll help us to repent of all of the bad practices, of all the bad habits that so pollute us. Please, Lord, wash us clean with the word. We do desire, Lord, to be your witnesses in this world. But Lord, we know that there is so much in us that holds us back. We ask, Lord, that you'd continue your work with us. That, Lord, you would continue to sanctify us and cleanse us with the washing of your word. 
That Lord, you would grant us that enablement, that endowment from on high that grants us revival, that we might be enthused and impassioned about you and your kingdom. Lord, we pray for those who do not know you. We think of our, our brothers and sisters who are still bound in darkness and ignorance and with wrong theology, Lord, and a terrible hermeneutic. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us, that you would use us as you desire to use us. The Lord, we would be able to take them through the scriptures from the beginning to the end and point out, Lord, all the truths about yourself. Lord, we pray that you would speak to their hearts, that you would open up their understandings, that you would reveal to them the truth as you did with us. Lord, help them. Lord, enable them. Set them upon the path that they might walk humbly and righteously before you. Lord, we pray this for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.